Napa and Pi. What are they and what do they have in common? Are young adults engaged in the church and how can Boomer bring them home? The pro-life movement is still relevant in the election season and so is family prayer. These topics and more on this best of edition of A View from the Top. Welcome to A View from the Top with Bishop Gregory Parks, Bishop of the Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is a candid and hopeful conversation on current events that affect our church, our community, and our country. Now, here's Bishop Parks and the General Manager of Spirit FM, John Morris. How are you, Bishop? Doing well, John. Thanks. Always good to be with you. It is good to see you. I was at Mass last weekend, and Father said, next weekend we're going to talk about APA. And as I heard those three letters, APA, the Annual Pastoral Appeal, I wondered, how do those tie in with PIE, Proclaim, Invite, and Encounter? So first off, what is the Annual Pastoral Appeal? Sure. uh, The Annual Pastoral Appeal is an opportunity for each of us as the faithful of our diocese to recognize that in addition to belonging to a particular parish or community, that we also are part of a larger church, a larger diocesan church. And that diocesan church also has a mission, just as our each parish has a mission. The pastoral appeal is an opportunity to support that mission through our financial contributions. And it um, specifically this year, we're focusing on implementing our vision, courageously living the gospel, and those three priorities you mentioned, PI, proclaiming, inviting, and encountering. Our parishes are currently focusing on that, and our departments here at the Pastoral Center, uh, which are funded through the annual Pastoral Appeal, are also focusing on that as well. In your travels around the diocese, I know that I don't know that a lot of people come up and say, you know, I supported the annual Pastoral Appeal, and you gave us this X thing, but they they do probably come up to you and thank you for some ministries or some works that have been done through the annual pastoral appeal. Oh, definitely, and um, people thank me, and we see great witness from those that benefit from the the good work and ministry that's possible through the appeal. What we do as a church on a diocesan basis, we could not do unless we had the support of our parishes and the faithful of our parishes to help support that. It's not just for office expenses and overhead, right. uh, but it funds real ministry and real programs which help the homeless, which help our youth, uh, help to promote our faith, many, many different things. Uh, well, for example, like the Religious Education Office got uh, 80-some-odd parishes and missions in the diocese, and the religious educators out in the field and the pastors need some assistance, and your gifts to the annual pastoral appeal help in that. Yeah, exactly. So we provide them through our pastoral center the support that they need to perform their ministry well in their parishes. So they always know that they have someone to call if they need assistance or have a question. But also here at the pastoral center in our various departments, we coordinate and promote training, ongoing training for those involved in ministry to assist them, to help to minister better to our people. And literally in a bricks and mortar uh fashion, I'll say. A lot of churches are doing uh, upgrades in their parking lot, construction in their offices, and they need some education in the contract side of working with these builders. And the diocese helps in that uh, through the annual pastoral They certainly do. Again, on our staff here at the Pastoral Center in our building and construction office or department, we have experts who have a great deal of experience in that industry and work with our pastors and their building committees and 
finance committees to make sure that whatever project they're looking to do is being done properly in accord with code. Hopefully, John, in accord with budget or under budget. That would always be nice if it came in under budget. Under budget and on time. Uh, and, uh, And to support that process to its completion. One of the big areas, too, Bishop, we'd be absolutely remiss if we didn't mention is vocations. It costs a lot of money to send our young men to the seminary. And the APA helps in that endeavor as well. Boy, does it ever. In fact, I was just looking at our budget for the coming year, and I believe the Office of Vocations is the second largest single line item in our budget as a diocese. But boy, is that important. You know, if we are not training men to be our future priests, we don't have much hope (laughs) for the future of our local church here and uh, those who will be called to celebrate the Eucharist and the sacraments with us. So I, I think in general, people are always very happy to support our young men who are discerning God's call to provide them with a good quality uh, education in the seminary. Again, they're going to be our future priests. And we also need to remember that uh, some of the things that come up during the year that are kind of, kind of un, unexpected, uh, the annual pastoral pill helps in that. And, and John, I'd be remiss if I didn't also mention our Office of Schools, of Catholic Absolutely. Schools, uh, which benefits from uh, the annual pastoral appeal as well by providing the support needed to our principals and to their staff and just ensuring that our students are receiving a quality faith-based <laughs> excuse me, Catholic education. You wouldn't hear this radio program either. Spirit FM is is assisted as well. Well, I'm glad to say, John, that our listeners on Spirit FM are very generous when we do have fundraisers or appeals, but we do as a diocese fund a a portion of the annual budget, which supports uh, this ministry called Spirit FM. Ministry to Youth and Young Adults is one of the initiatives or goals of Courageously Living the Gospel, the vision of the diocese. In January 2019, Bishop Parks talked about the church's role both globally and locally in growing relationships with this demographic. Our young people are, are always looking for, how do, how do I, I want to be a leader in this world. I want to make my mark in this world. And yet, we're called to serve. And by service, you can become a leader. And really, the best leaders are the servant leaders. Yeah, they sure are. And as you said, I think there's a a great hunger today among young people, both those in high school and college age, young adults, to make a difference in the world, not just to take advantage of the world and get as much as they can, but to make a, a positive difference in the world. And the way that we do that is through service of our neighbor to those who are most in need. And we see examples of that even here in our local diocese. I think a bit about the Good Samaritan Project right. over the summer sure. where our high school students go away for a week and they engage in various service projects, whether that be painting or cleaning or yard work or different things just to help somebody else. And uh, they love it. They enjoy it. They feel like they're doing something uh, which will make a difference in someone else's lives. And that's important. Have you ever been to a World Youth Day? I have not, actually. Uh, never had the opportunity. Brother? Uh, my brother, uh, Father Stephen, either, uh, has not yeah. been to World Youth Day. Been to many youth conferences nationally and locally in our state, but uh, have not been able to go. And, and unfortunately, I'm not able to go this year either. But yeah. I guess you would say maybe on my bucket list, John, of things right. to do. All right, let me ask you this. I know they have these every two or three years. The last one I recall in the States was, I think, in Denver back in the late 80s or mid-90s something like that. 
how do they do you know how they choose the locations and does the conference of bishops for that country put a bid in to have them the holy father is the one who selects the location and usually announces it at the actually at the world youth day event the last time it was here you're correct was in the united states in the early 90s i believe 1993 okay. uh, it was in denver and uh, but we haven't had it back here since it's been all over the world as the title world youth day sure. suggests but I think the Holy Father brings that to prayer and maybe tries to see where the gospel needs to be preached and celebrated and maybe a place that he hasn't been. And it's an opportunity for him to visit there as well. So we'll eagerly await to see where the next World Youth Day will be. Uh, you mentioned the Bishops' Conference. Certainly they play a big part in hosting those things. And it's a, a large commitment, sure. you know, both in terms of time and resources, right. financial and people. So it's not something to be taken lightly. They have to commit to it. We had a great gathering at the fairgrounds for our Family Faith Fest, and that had ten or 11,000 people, and that was hard for us. We're talking millions of people show up for these for the World Youth Day. Yeah, it's incredible. Depending where they are, they, you, we've had millions go, um, hundreds of thousands. As we alluded to a moment ago, these events can bring forth great fruit for the church. And you and I have talked off mic before about how the church needs to do better nationally, internationally, and even locally in ministering to the young adults. How do we do that? You know, John, and, and I'm glad you mentioned that because that is one of our priorities uh, and one of our goals uh, in line with our, our vision, Courageously Living the Gospel, is to provide more ministry opportunities to reach out to our youth and to our young adults. I think it starts with listening. I think we have to listen to them and we have to ask them, how can we help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Because if we don't ask them and listen to what they have to say, we might be trying to sell them something that they don't want. And, and that's not going to be very helpful to them. So I think um, just as I listened to the people of our diocese when I first arrived here as bishop now uh, two years ago, I think it's important that our, our leaders and uh, parents and youth ministry leaders, young adult, uh, listen to our, to our young people and ask them, what are they seeking and how can we help them? Right. I think that's a tricky area because communication is two ways. They need to be able to communicate what it is they specifically want. And then on the other side, we have to interpret correctly what it is that they want and then have the, the skill set to implement it. And those are three big things that, that have to come together to make a positive impact. Yeah, so I was, um, I think as we maybe talked about in one of our previous uh, conversations, I was at a Theology on Tap evening uh, in St. Petersburg, and I was asked to talk, and what I decided to do was listen. So I got up on stage, and after welcoming everyone, I said, I'd really like to hear from you. You know, this is a great gathering tonight, but how can we as a diocese, how can I as your bishop help you in your journey, your faith journey? And what would you like to see in terms of young adult ministry here in our diocese? And I listened for about an hour, and it was very helpful. And, you know, you hear things like, you know, have more gatherings like this, or uh, we want to learn more about our faith. We want to do Bible studies. We want more service opportunities. Uh, and then so you, you compile all that information, and that can go into helping us then translate that into ministry to them. 
The March for Life last month was a major event for the pro-life movement. In this segment recorded last year, Bishop Parks talks about the controversial legislation in New York State and Catholics in public office. Uh, A lot of people were critical, and maybe rightly so, I'm sure rightly so, with the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, who was at one time I heard an altar server, Catholic, and yet signed a bill into law for the state of New York to strengthen the abortion laws in the state of New York. John, that was a disgrace. I, I, I was sickened when I watched the coverage of that bill being passed and put into law. Uh, maybe you've seen or our listeners have seen people were cheering, uh, they were yelling, they were dancing, they were celebrating. I think one of the big skyscrapers in New York was lit up that evening in recognition of that. This is nothing to celebrate. This is a disgrace. It's an abomination. It's nothing less than murder, than pure evil, that it's now legal to be able to abort a child, a baby, even up to the moment of them being born. There is no excuse or reason why that should be done, why it should be permitted, and how it's been allowed. I I can't respond. I can't answer that. I believe the the law was signed uh, during the March for Life, or or that weekend anyway. It was signed right after, and and I want to say it was either on or very close to the uh, anniversary anniversary of Roe versus Wade, that decision, tragic decision for our country back in, I think it was 1973. Uh, again, it was almost just like putting this in the face of people who believe in the sanctity of life and want to protect life at all of its stages, particularly its most innocent. So Governor Cuomo has signed this into law. Supposedly, he's Catholic. A lot of people are saying he should be excommunicated. What's your What's your stance on that? And what does excommunication mean? Sure, John. And I, I've, I've heard the same thing, that there's been an outcry by Catholics that he should be excommunicated. And That word is used quite often, but maybe not always understood properly. Excommunication is a a canonical declaration which publicly recognizes somebody as being not in communion with the church because of some action that they've committed or some teaching that they have publicly opposed, and so the church imposes this upon them. They are prevented from receiving the sacraments of our faith, and so they're prevented from receiving God's grace, which we all need so much in our lives. But the purpose of excommunication is less punitive and more what we would say medicinal. So by that I mean that it's meant to bring about conversion of heart, of mind and heart, for the person who is sinning against the church or publicly refuting a teaching of the church, as in this case, promoting abortion publicly and celebrating it. So it's meant to bring about a change within that person. That's the main goal. Now, As Bishop of St. Petersburg, I don't have the authority here to excommunicate Governor Cuomo in New York. Since he is a a resident there in New York, he's the governor, it would be up to the Archdiocese of New York to take that step. And I know that that's something that they have discerned and weighed and um, are not currently taking that step. What about like the reception of communion? Let's say the Holy Father comes to New York, which has happened before, and these politicians who really aren't practicing, but to be seen on the stage with the Holy Father or with an archbishop or cardinal, they go to receive, and they're not exactly clean going up there, you know what I mean? Yeah. First of all, John, uh, of course, when anybody comes up to commune to receive the Eucharist on Sunday or daily Mass, we don't know what the disposition of their soul is or their heart. 
I mean, just to use an extreme example, they may have just gone to confession prior to going to Mass and repented of whatever whatever public sin they may have committed or whatnot. So uh, just mention that. But normally in cases that would be high profile, it would be advisable not to make a scene at, at a public liturgy, but rather to speak with the individual before Mass or outside of Mass in a pastoral way and explain to them why it would not be appropriate for them to receive the Eucharist and why that would be a contradiction to the life that they're living and and what they're professing. Do you think these politicians, they believe one thing in their heart maybe, but do things because of the vote or because of the public pressure? Well, it's uh, it's interesting. You know, we're talking about Governor Cuomo. His father, of course, Mario Cuomo, was, uh, I believe, governor of New York as well a number of decades ago. And he was famous for saying, while I'm personally against such and such, um, I have to uphold the law. And that's how he rationalized his ability to act contrary to what his faith might be. But yeah, I mean, it, it is. I mean, they are politicians, even here in Florida, you know, with the with the death penalty, with capital punishment. Politicians want to come off seeming very tough on crime, and we should be, but we don't support as a church the death penalty. But yet politically, they know that that would be suicide. Right, right. Uh, that'd be like touching the third rail of politics if they were to publicly come out against the death penalty, because most people see that as being deserved and, and being tough on crime. As you know, Catholics in the pew that are in Florida, what can we do to help remedy this? Well, as, I, as I've said before, I think the most powerful thing we can do is use our freedom to vote. We need to put legislators, governors, mayors, you know, our congresspeople, senators, congressmen and women into office who are pro-life. That's why I always stress that before you go into the voting booth, check to see what somebody's stance is on life issues. I'm not going to say that's the only issue we should look at, but John, I will say for me, just speaking for myself, that's the most important issue. Because if we fail to protect life at its most innocent and vulnerable stage in the womb, what guarantee is that life will be protected at any stage? Whether you're somebody who's dealing with a physical disability, a handicap, somebody who is uh, growing older, late in life, somebody who has an illness, you know, euthanasia, and, and, and so forth, physician-assisted suicide, any of these issues. If we, if we won't protect an innocent child, what guarantee is that anybody will be protected? In this segment, Bishop Park shares his thoughts on families and prayer. Some of the things that uh, helped you develop that vision and the mission that uh, was about families, even though uh, as we're recording this, we're a couple of weeks into the new year, it's not too late to resolve to make a promise to improve our lives. What's a good resolution for families, do you think? I think first thing that comes to mind would be for families to pray together. Maybe I just assume that they already do that. But if prayer is not a big part of your family life, maybe I could suggest or offer that as a a resolution or something that you really want to embrace this year. So um, I think many of us likely pray grace before meals, a traditional Catholic blessing, bless us, O Lord, and Mm -hmm. these thy gifts. But do we say a prayer maybe in the morning when we first get up? you know, entrusting the day to the Lord and asking that we live that day in his presence and according to his will. Do husbands and wives maybe say a prayer at night together before they go to bed? Do we say a prayer with our children before we put the, when we put them to bed? Do we teach them how to pray? Uh, they follow our example, and so it's important that that become a priority uh, in our families. And it's just the little things that can make a big difference because, as you said, those kids— 
they watch everything that the parents do. They do, John, and that includes going to Mass. And I, I would say that would be another good resolution this year for our families and for couples, individuals, for anyone, would be to try to get to Mass every Sunday as we're called to do and to make that a priority in your life. You know, I, I say Mass is, to me, like kind of bookends for the week. So we start our week at Mass and we end our week at Mass. And that kind of marks a, a very important point and a, certainly a good way to set ourselves up for the week ahead. Well, as we close our time today, would you ask for the Holy Spirit to descend and, and enkindle all of our hearts so that we may follow Him more closely and grow in our daily prayer life? Sure. Let us pray. God, our Father, send forth your Holy Spirit. Enkindle that fire within us. Send forth your Spirit. and We shall be created and renew the face of the earth. Descend upon us, Holy Spirit. Guide us in our words, our thoughts, and our actions, that all that we do may be in accord with your will, for your glory, and for our good. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. And may the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you always. For more with Bishop Parks, including past programs, his social media accounts, and ways to subscribe to this podcast, visit dosp.org bishop. A View from the Top is a production of Spirit FM 90.5 and the Communications Office of the Catholic Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is made possible by the annual Pastoral Appeal and listeners like you. Thank you for your support.